Hello, and welcome to that tech pod where we discuss all things e-discovery, data privacy, cybersecurity, and tech innovations. I'm Laura Milstein, and I am really excited for today's episode. And I'm Kevin Albert, and I would say I'm mildly excited. I'm, I'm fine. I can go either way about today's episode. <laughs> oh, wow, Kevin. He's really... <laughs> wow. To get Kevin more excited, we have a heavy hitter on that is almost... He should... is going to just tear Kevin down and make Kevin (laughs) way more excited as he should be. And I am really excited for this guest. Kevin, who are we talking to? Today we're talking to Ryan Blaney. Ryan is the co-head of the Global Privacy and Cybersecurity Group and partner in the healthcare practice at Prospero Rose Law Firm. Ryan's practice focuses on regulatory compliance, enforcement, litigation, transactions in the areas of data privacy, cybersecurity, healthcare, and emerging technologies. Ryan also represents investors and lenders in both the healthcare and privacy and security due diligence and negotiations for mergers and acquisitions, joint ventures, financing, and complex commercial agreements. Outside of his health law practice, Ryan has been recognized for his public service work and pro bono work. He has successfully handled numerous education-related cases, helped establish three nonprofit organizations, and defended quality recipients of disability benefits. Ryan, welcome to the show. Happy to be here and really looking forward to talking with you. Excellent. Can you give us a little bit more detail and a little bit more context about your background? How did you get here? Sure. I'm a lawyer, first off, and I, I came into privacy really through healthcare. I um, started as a healthcare lawyer, you know, doing a lot of kind of false claims act cases, litigation, government investigations. And back in 2013, HIPAA omnibus rule was passed. Um, which essentially extended a statute called HIPAA to a lot of different entities that were not typically covered by healthcare laws uh, for privacy. And I, you know, really dug into that that regulation and and focused on it. And since then, I've, you know, really kind of sat in the intersection of healthcare and privacy. And so that's a little bit of my background. Uh, the other thing is I'm a triple domer, which what that means is I went to Notre Dame three times, graduated from Notre Dame three times. So I went there for law school, went there for undergrad. And then in between, I did a a volunteer teaching program where I taught in uh, an under-resourced Catholic school in in South Carolina and uh, taught middle school. When when you were saying this at first, I was like, are you telling everyone it took you three tries? Um, But I'm glad you explained that. It it, it probably did. uh, No one else would take me. So Notre Dame just kept on taking me for different degrees. But uh, sounds like you like the school. It sounds like you you were dedicated to the school alone. So so. I I do, which cuts both ways a lot of times because there's a lot of people that don't. So uh, so I'm automatically excluded from their kind of inner circle. If you're listening and you don't like Notre Dame, trigger warning (laughs) this is your time you're really interesting to me because you encompass things that i love like cybersecurity and data privacy and then things that i just really hate which is healthcare and it's not that i hate healthcare like obviously like i want to be able to see a doctor but it's such a stressful topic for me and mixing the two together is a scary topic so i definitely want to get into that today and dive with you very deep into everything that encompasses data privacy, cybersecurity, when it comes to healthcare. But before we really get to the nitty gritty of that, I want to talk specifically on data privacy laws. So a lot of people are aware outside of the US of things like GDPR and 
you know, actually in the U.S., the CCPA, et cetera. But on July 1st, there was a new data privacy law or a few laws, the consumer laws. I should sound a little more intelligent, but I'm hoping that you will make me sound more intelligent here of the laws that were implemented in Colorado and Connecticut. Can you tell us more about those and and your personal feelings on them? Yeah, so there's been a wave of state privacy laws that, you know, have been passed and are in various stages, you know, whether they've been introduced um, as legislation, whether they've passed one one state representative house, uh, whether they've been signed by the governor. So there's been a ton of laws. You know, how we've gotten here is really because back in Europe, BDPR, there was basically a European privacy law that was passed. And that law you know, kind of trigger this conversation about privacy rights here in the U.S. and really kind of set, set the stage for two different kind of jurisdictions. California, back in 2018, passed, and you referenced it, the CCPA, which was the first privacy law, comprehensive privacy law on the state level in the U.S. And, and the reason that that was relevant is that, unlike Europe, we do not have a national privacy law. You know, after the California law was passed, uh, there was really not too much like follow along, you know, state law, privacy laws that were passed until now. Now, you know, we're, you know, up to 11 different states have passed laws with Oregon and Delaware following. And, you know, each of these laws, you know, have little nuances, but they all essentially do one thing, which is they start to give privacy rights to the residents of that state, which, you know, is obviously an important piece and, you know, protecting all sorts of information. You brought up health information. Interestingly enough, a lot of the laws actually carve out from the protections health information because, you know, there is, as I mentioned, you know, HIPAA which is a, is a national law, but it is a narrow law in that it only applies to covered entities or business associates. So most of these businesses will kind of not necessarily have to comply with HIPAA. And so some of the state laws have carve-outs that, you know, if the business is collecting any health information that could be tied to HIPAA, it might be carved out. And so what it's creating is this kind of continual maze or, or you know, confusion around, okay, well, which law applies and when does it apply? Does it apply to this type of information? Does it apply to that type of information? What do I have to look at in order to make sure that you know my rights are protected? Or if there's a data breach, you know, what does the company have to do? Who does it have to notify? It creates this you know continued confusion that is only getting worse as more and more states pass new laws. One of the pieces that I'm sort of always curious about is, is how do you deal with things when people travel across the, the, the state border, right? Or if I'm you know in Maryland, but my company is based in Texas, whose right, rights am I following? Are, how are the laws dealing with people who either travel across the states or are based in somewhere, but their company is based somewhere else? It's funny. I mean, it's a great question because like, you know, I do a lot with breaches, like with, you know, cyber breaches and so forth, representing companies in, in order to comply with the those breach notification laws. Now, all 50 states, unlike a comprehensive privacy law, 
all 50 states have a breach notification law. However, the breach notification law is tied to the generally to the person's state of residency. So if I'm a company that's, you know, you know operating out of Connecticut and I think to myself, well, you know, I'm pretty local. I don't really collect information from, you know, people in Colorado or I don't collect information from people in California. But you might very well like you are you're not doing business in California, but you might very well, you know, have someone that comes to your shop or has have someone that visits your website and you have their information. The laws follow the state laws follow the state of residency of the person, not the state, not where they're doing business. And so when you have a breach or you're representing a company that has a breach, you have to kind of think about, okay, well, how are we going to notify how many people are in that state that you know were impacted by the breach? Will it trigger those notification requirements? So crossing state lines obviously matters a lot, but what's most important is trying to figure out where your customers are residents of, which isn't always easy. I mean, you're not, you're not, you know, serving customers and thinking first and foremost, okay, well, I'll, I'll help you, but where are you from first off? Uh, are you a California resident? Are you a resident of this other state? Like you're not generally asking those questions. And if you are collecting it, it's being, it's being collected in an imperfect way that, you know, has to be verified if you're, you know, really kind of screening and trying to comply with these statutes. Do you think we'll ever get to a point where there's just one law for everybody in the country? Like we'll get a federalized law or do you think the way the states are are set up and everything and everybody's got their own that we're going to stick with, like you said, 50 different laws? Yeah. So after the California law was passed in 2018, the, the CCPA, you know, there was a big discussion and there continues to be a, a lot of discussion around having a national privacy law because the discussion was, all right, here we go. California just passed a law. All the states are going to follow. We're now going to have a maze of different laws, exactly what's kind of happening. On the federal level, we need to have a national privacy law. And so there was obviously a bipartisan law that was introduced. Interestingly enough, it was California and a lot, some of the senators in California, Pelosi, for example, that pushed back on having a national privacy law. And that one of the main reasons was that they felt that the California law provided greater level of protection for California residents and allowed for what's called a private right of action to permit someone to sue on behalf of themselves and bring in other class members if their privacy was violated. And, you know, the the draft national privacy law going to preempt state laws and so it would have therefore preempted California's law. There was concern that, you know, the California regulators and then likewise other regulators would lose their authority and enforcement powers to be able to go after, you know, companies that, you know, were not protecting the privacy of their state residents. And so, you know, that was one of the biggest challenges, preemption, and then whether there would be a private right of action. And that continues to be kind of one of the bigger areas. So I think until we get past some of those disagreements and that we're not going to have a national privacy law, and I think we'll still kind of probably operate in this space where on the federal side, 
privacy is protected based on the type of information it is. So Gremlin's violated for financial information, HIPAA for health information. You'll have regulators or agencies like the Securities and Exchange Commission that will look at, you know, entities that they're able to regulate. And so I think that's probably going to be the way for a while until politically there's enough momentum to get everyone on the same page and to deal with the preemption issue. Ryan, I'm learning too much from you today. As you were speaking, I was just thinking I need to actually write all of this down because I'm I'm getting educated uh, in a very it's like oh this is a course right now you should you should be teaching data privacy courses <laughs> but it but it is true and it's helpful and it's an interesting perspective in general and just coming from your side of the the legal side I'm I'm curious just to switch gears a little bit around cyber so cybersecurity is one of my favorite things and it's one of the things that people are either too educated almost or not nearly educated enough and it's a fine line so you mentioned data breaches for example you're going to get breached, it's going to happen. How does that tie into you as a lawyer? When I'm a company and I'm getting breached, I'm thinking, I'm calling my vendor. I'm maybe calling my insurance if I got cyber insurance. Where does the lawyer come into play? That's part one. And part two of that is, as a law firm, you have to be protected. You have to cover your bases. You have to be doing cyber assessments. You have to have 24-7 security monitoring, et cetera, because you're dealing with a lot of data. Do you feel that what your firm is using is what you recommend to clients? Are they completely different? How, how does that work? Yeah, all really, really good questions and, and tough to answer some of them. So I guess coming at it from the perspective of, you know, representing clients. And so clients being generally aren't representing kind of individuals, like we're on the defense side. And so we're not representing kind of like individuals who were impacted by a cyber breach, but we're representing companies that have had a breach themselves that maybe are dealing with regulators that have opened up investigations into their privacy practices, into their cybersecurity practices in terms of how they're protecting the information. Also, you know, maybe there's plaintiff's firms that have brought class actions. So we're kind of dealing in that space. So in that space, you know, as I mentioned, like there's all different laws that you have to respond to. Companies will certainly and more and more do have cyber insurance. And they're able to take advantage of those, those policies and a lot of the resources associated with those policies, like having a data breach coach uh, connected with the policy, having access to forensic vendors who will be engaged to do a forensic review to determine the scope of the breach, having access to uh, vendors that can provide credit monitoring to the customers that were impacted. Having a vendor, access to a vendor who can send out those silly letters that all of us get when we are impacted individually by a data breach. So, you know, certainly working with those those carriers is super important. But one thing that, you know, I always say to my clients is like, it's also important to also have an objective kind of person to be able to provide advice, you know, that might be outside of the panel cyber counsel, you know, uh, not a sign, not being paid by the carrier. And so I often do a lot of work where 
and kind of quarterbacking or, you know, sitting on top of the, the panel counsel lawyer and, you know, fielding questions directly from the client, you know, asking or asking if I agree kind of with an approach. And so I do a lot of that work kind of helping to kind of oversee or quarterback kind of the whole process, quarterback the various engagements with the forensic firms and all of that and kind of looking at it from a, a higher perspective, like, you know, how will this impact uh, the business as a whole? So that's that's a, a piece that kind of the work I do. Like it. Like, do you do you wake up and feel like this is a good day? I, I love my job. Or are you feeling overwhelmed because you're in a position, a cool law firm, cool role, all great things, but an overwhelming role as well. I mean, you're looking at their healthcare practice, you're heading up the global privacy and cybersecurity practice group. I mean, that that's these are intense responsibilities. Do you feel stressed and overwhelmed or do you wake up every day thinking, this is incredible. I want to run another practice group as well. Let's just <laughs> keep, keep loading it up. Well, so I guess it probably depends on the day on the answer, but I mean, it's exciting for sure. And I'm lucky to have a lot of support, you know, both from the firm, you know, in terms of other lawyers that are, you know, great lawyers and have tons of experience and, and then a lot of support just from, you know, a lot of the folks that work and make the firm work behind the scenes, you know, whether it's, you know, helping with marketing materials, whether it's helping with, you know, just, you know, writing content, you know, that you can kind of, you know, put out there, all of those kind of resources are, you know, great and super helpful and make kind of all of it kind of work kind of seamlessly. But, but certainly, I mean, you know, one of the most challenging pieces that I have, and really kind of the topic of the, the conversation is like, there's been so much change. And there's so many new laws that continue to get, you know, introduced and, clients ask about. And, you know, it's a super competitive space out there too, with other law firms putting out content, other law firms maybe having, you know, pretty sizable teams compared to us. And so, you know, you're constantly trying to balance kind of the pressures of providing, you know, the best advice possible, but also just, you know, focusing, you know, what's most important, what, what, what can I tackle and the time that I have, and what can I, you know, kind of provide the best advice on. And so there's, you know, there's some areas that I, you know, just stay away from, because I don't feel like I have the expertise to uh, in the privacy space, like, you know, there's some areas that, um, you know, that I would rather focus on, like the healthcare side. So, you know, it's trying to just you know, do your best with, with, with the resources that you have, and, and, um, and what you like doing too. What I heard is that you absolutely love your job. It's the best firm ever. And you're just having a great day and you want more responsibility. <laughs> there you go. You know what I've been thinking about since you came on and talked about Notre Dame and you're so loyal to Notre Dame. Kevin and I worked at a company together a few years ago. And the CEO of the company we worked at was obsessed with Notre Dame. Like um, you'd see the Zoom, like how I can see you right now. And in the background, he had a big picture of Notre Dame. I assumed he went to Notre Dame. He would talk about Notre Dame football. He never went to Notre Dame. And I had no idea. So I was like, he's a huge fan. He loves his school. Like, that's awesome. And then one day Kevin said, it's weird. I said, why is it weird? And he said, 
he didn't go to Notre Dame. <laughs> He's just obsessed with Notre Dame. And so when you said that, my first thought, and I, I didn't say it, but I was like, sure you did. Because now I question anyone who's into Notre Dame. Because I'm like, hmm, hard well, to say. But you made you it clear. You said, I'll go three times. Yeah. You don't have to go to Notre Dame to love it. So actually, another example, my my father-in-law, who's a physician, retired, went to University of Creighton. He, um, he you know, didn't have an opportunity to go to Notre Dame for financial reasons when he was growing up. But his, uh, so my wife, his, his daughter went there. And so he, you know, always loved Notre Dame, continues to love Notre Dame. And so we that's have a, a lot fair of... fair reason. Ryan, that's yeah, fair. Yeah. That's like it's in the family. Can you imagine <laughs> if true. for no reason your father-in-law that's, was that's like, point. I'm yeah. obsessed with this school, not related. No one went there. There's <laughs> no reason. You just, you were like, here's a, a really fair example. <laughs> so the lawyer in you. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Yeah. Oh, amazing. I know Kevin has another question for you, so I'll I'll quit chatting about the the randomness of, of Notre Dame. <laughs> I mean, I, I could ask just a Notre Dame question. Who who, who you got in the, uh, they're going to play uh, Navy in, in Ireland, right, in a few weeks, right? That's a big deal. Are you, are you going? Do you, you know, let's. I you, wish I was going. Um, <laughs> so my, I did go, uh, I guess it was now um, 11 years ago when they played and uh I have three kids. Uh, my my oldest is just turning fourteen next month, and uh, so she came. She went with us, and uh, that was one of my most memorable moments. Was was going one to going to you know Dublin and and seeing that game, and uh, we have a lot of uh, family pictures from that event that you know all spread out through our house. But that's a it's a fun uh, tradition to do that every few years. Sounds nice. You got really sentimental. It was it was very protect yourself. Here are the regulations too, and you just gotta love your family. So I really I really oh. liked that. <laughs> On that note, before we let you go, I just wanted to ask you if you have anything that you'd like our listeners and viewers to know. If you have any advice for them, if there's anything that you want to just scare them with, you know, this is your this is your moment to give our listeners true nightmares. Or leave them with something beautiful. I mean, it's really up to you. So I guess just kind of thinking about family, tying that back together. I mean, from a you know privacy, cybersecurity perspective, you know, especially as someone that has children, you know, just you know, as a parent, like just be aware of kind of the risks out there that you will continue to develop. You know, we hear so much about like AI and and all these things that are happening with AI. But one of the things that you know I've been reading a lot about is, you know, how AI is going to kind of present, you know, unique challenges from a cybersecurity perspective of, of being able to kind of compromise some of our information. And, you know, you know, we, we already know about kind of people on the internet that aren't doing great things, especially around, you know, children. Um, but I think that will kind of be an increasing area. So in terms of scaring, I think that that scares, but just in terms of family, you know, just think first and how you can protect your family and um, and making sure that, you know, they're aware and, you know, it's, it's you know, on both spectrums, kind of children and, and your uh, parents and, and so forth, because it, it's going to impact all of us. You heard it here first. Um, if you want to protect loved ones, don't have any. <laughs> 
Oh, that was great advice. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. We really appreciate your time. We've learned too much, but in a really great way. So again, thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me on the show. I really, really welcome the opportunity and, and thanks so much. Laura, we just talked to Ryan Blaney from Proscar Rose. What are your tech takeaways? I really like Ryan. He's just a very likable guy. He's definitely a knowledgeable guy. And uh, and he shows it in such a a confident and yet respectable manner. I think we we have on a lot of guests that are knowledgeable, but Ryan kind of educates you in the way that you need. It's not just here's some information for the sake of information. I really do genuinely feel like I needed to take notes from him because it, it there's so many laws happening that you're not constantly aware of. So everybody now knows the CCPA, but not everybody knew that this law just came out January 1st. And I do question if I lived in Colorado, for example, would I know? Because I don't live there. Do I need, he mentioned Oregon, for example, coming out. Do I need to be aware of more of these? He made me ask those questions to myself during the episode of why am I not as educated as I should be? And yet I really appreciated having his perspective and his point of view. He wears so many different hats in his role. He's just impressive all around. I really liked him. Yeah, I thought it was a good episode as well. I thought his take on the sort of the difference between the 50 different laws versus the national law was interesting. So I thought it was really good. If you're interested in learning more about Ryan Blaney, about that tech pod, or just want to chat to us, reach out to us at contact at thattechpod.com. If you haven't yet, make the right decision and head on over to www.com thattechpod.com to enter your email and subscribe, hear about future episodes, see past episodes, and maybe get some merchandise because it feels good to look good. But that's just my opinion. Head over to linkedin.com slash thattechpod or anywhere else that we may or may not have a social media presence and uh, check us out. Kevin, is there anything else that they can uh, they can do? Yeah, absolutely. People should go to wherever you get your pods and give us a five-star rating. Leave us a review. Let us know how we're doing. All that helps us with the algorithm and gets us out there. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everyone.